Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today, we will unlock the book, The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. A survey has shown that by 2020, there were roughly 4.54 billion internet users worldwide, with a penetration rate of 59%, an increase of almost 300 million since 2019. Globally, social media is used by 3.96 billion people, approximately 51% of the world population, with a year-on-year -year increase of 10%. The internet has now become an integral part of most of people's lives. The internet, however, is a double-edged sword. Although the internet has brought with it many conveniences, it has also burdened us with problems such as information overload and dependency on the virtual world. You may have noticed that much of the time, our brains have become accustomed to taking in information in a superficial manner, and that we are no longer able to hold our attention with matters that require deep thought. How have our brains changed? What are the consequences of those changes, and how can we circumvent this problem? The Shallows will provide us with answers to these questions. Despite Nicholas G. Carr publishing his work 10 years ago when the technology of the internet was not yet as sophisticated as today, the multiple and systemic problems of the internet were nonetheless clearly apparent to its author. From the development of the printing press to computers and beyond, he provides insightful analysis on how, under the utter dominance of internet technologies, we are gradually losing our ability to concentrate and contemplate. In what follows, we will give you a detailed, three-part description of the book's contents. Part 1, How the Media is Changing Our Brains. Part 2, How the Internet Has Made Our Minds Shallow. Part 3, Widespread Internet Use Leads to a Loss of Humanity. Part 1, How the Media is Changing Our Brains. At some point, Carr realized that he had stopped thinking in the same way that he used to, particularly when it came to reading. In the past, he had always been able to immerse himself in a book or long text with ease, no matter how dull and insipid the subject matter, it would still hold his attention. Now, however, after only two or three pages, he would be so distracted that he would only be able to get his thoughts back on track with the greatest of efforts. The problem lay in the internet. Over the past decade or so, he had spent vast sums of time online, looking up information, surfing the web, writing and communicating, handling bank transactions, paying bills, ordering airline tickets, and so on. The internet had become his all-purpose medium, providing him with the vast majority of his sources of information, and thereby making him increasingly dependent on it. As a result, many of his habits and practices changed, and more importantly, the way his mind worked changed, too. Not only was he unable to focus, but he found himself craving internet connection, so much so that even when he wasn't in the vicinity of his computer, he would be plagued with thoughts on checking his emails, clicking links, and searching the web. He felt as if the internet had turned him into something resembling a high-speed data processor, and as he confesses in his book, he missed his old brain. Carr was no anomaly, as he discovered that many others suffered from similar issues, with some people even starting to worry whether they had become chronic scatterbrains. As Marshall McLuhan, noted media theorist and author of Understanding Media, which we previously unlocked, once said, the media does not just provide access to information, but also influences thought process. The internet, as a medium, seems to have taken our ability to concentrate and to think, and to have torn it into shreds. Why is this the case? It starts with the characteristics of our brains, which are not static, 
but rather highly plastic. The biologist Eric Kandel conducted an experiment on sea slugs. The nerves in the gills of these animals are highly sensitive, with about 90% of their sensory neurons connected to motor neurons. If a sea slug's gills are touched, even to the lightest degree, they will impulsively retract. In the experiment, a sea slug was touched multiple times on the gills, without being harmed. After 40 times, it would become accustomed to the touch, and the instinct to retract would subside. The research further discovered that by this point, only 10% of the sea slug's sensory neurons were still connected to its motor neurons. From this result, Kandel concluded that only a small amount of training was required in order to bring about colossal and long-lasting changes in the strength of the synapses. In much the same way, the human brain displays neuroplasticity, possessing roughly 100 billion neurons, with the average each possessing approximately 1,000 synapses. Trillions of synapses connect the brain's neurons in a dense web of circuitry, and this organization is what encompasses what we think, how we feel, and who we are. When we perform a task or experience a sensation, a bunch of corresponding neurons are activated. If they are close to each other, then they will connect with each other through the exchange of synaptic neurotransmitters. When the same experience occurs repeatedly, the synaptic link between the neurons becomes stronger and more abundant. As a result, when we learn something, our neurons change accordingly. As the neuroscientist James Olds observed, the brain has the ability to reprogram itself on the fly, altering the way it functions. A similar viewpoint has also been expounded on in the book Brain Rolls. Feel free to check on that bookie if you are interested. In Shallow, Carr cites the example of a violinist. Edward Taub, a researcher in neuroplasticity, once conducted a famous experiment. In this experiment, he tested right-handed volunteers who had never played a musical instrument, before against violin players who were accustomed to fingering strings with their left hands. His study revealed that when both groups pressed the strings with their right hands, there was no difference in the corresponding sensory cortex areas, however, when they pressed the strings with their left hands, the corresponding brain regions of the violin players were clearly larger than those of the volunteers. In other words, playing the violin caused the brain to undergo substantial physiological changes. It is precisely due to the brain's plasticity that constant repetitive action can alter the brain's neural circuit, and therefore, modern technology can change the way the brain thinks by similarly altering its neural pathways through repetition. As an example, the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche was often ill as a child. After being injured in an army accident, his health continued to deteriorate, his eyesight began to fail, and he suffered from headaches and bouts of vomiting to the point where he could no longer even bear to read or write, and even considered giving up his career for a while. Later, he ordered a typewriter, a Danish-made Mollinghansen writing ball, which was the fastest typewriter at that time, and one that, once its use had been mastered, allowed people to write on its keyboard while typing with their eyes closed. Once he had started to write using the typewriter, he remarked that it feels better than ever. Around the same time, his close friend, the writer and composer Heinrich Kozelitz, noticed a change in Nietzsche's writing style, his essays having become more rigorous and concise. It was almost as if the machine had transmitted its steeliness to Nietzsche's writing through some mysterious force. Nietzsche himself acknowledged that the tools of his writing had some influence on the formulation of his thoughts. Carr believes that every item of technology is an expression of human will, and that we extend our power through these appendages to control our surroundings, nature, time, distance, and so on. 
At the same time, technology influences the way our brains operates. However, the brain's plasticity is not equal to that of its elasticity, neural circuits cannot stretch freely like rubber bands. Once neural circuits have transformed activities into behavioral habits, they work to maintain the altered state, even if it is not necessarily one that we want. With the emergence of the internet, large swaths of information have become more accessible than before. Computers and mobile phones often contain swarms of information that our brains do not necessarily need nor have time to think deeply upon. Over time, the synapses related to the deeper consideration of questions are put on hold, and though the brain becomes accustomed to receiving information in quantitative terms, it is no longer able to process it in qualitative ones. For this reason, we are no longer able to concentrate as effectively after extended computer or mobile phone use. That was part one. Let's summarize the content we have covered. We first mentioned that the brain is not static, but rather it is highly plastic and can change according to processes such as sensory input and repetitive actions and behaviors. Working upon that same principle, we then analyzed how technology changes how people reflect, revealing that while technology grants convenience and speed, it can also cause the neurons in various parts of the brain to shrink, and that corresponding changes have principally altered the way people think. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller, please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.